Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chrisanne Hall Daily Journal. Chrisanne Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Yeah, I know there was no intro this mor- this a- afternoon, but uh, had a little bit of technical difficulty there, but I know what the problem is, so that means we're going to have a cure. <laughs> Just couldn't do it on the fly this afternoon, so. Oh my goodness, where is that sound coming from? (laughs) Why does this stuff always happen to me when JC is not around? So, thank you so much for joining me this evening, afternoon, depending on where you are in the United States or around the world. Glad to have you with us. We are always giving you the current events from a constitutional and principled perspective. Thank you uh, for, I want to say a big thank you to Miss Donna Price. I'm going to show you what she's actually doing here. Donna Price, remember I am banned from Twitter. And Donna is encouraging people to help us out because I can't share, you know, over 35,000 followers. Now I can't share the things that's well, you know, I mean, Twitter never actually let the 35,000 people that were following us actually get the information they were requesting when they followed us. But nonetheless, the potential was there, right? The potential. Now we have no potential, no potential. And so Donna Donna Price Mayo on uh, Twitter has joined in and decided that we need to uh, gather and rally the troops to share our podcasts, our YouTube videos, and that sort of thing on Twitter. And I just wanted to show you, she, she posted this as a comment on my Facebook page to let us know what she's doing because guess what? I can't get on Twitter, so I don't even know what you guys are doing over there. But she says, uh, she says, we need to uh, help Chrisanne be seen on Twitter. She says, unban K-A-H on Twitter by sharing her on your page. She says, let's see how long we can do this before they catch on. And so this is just uh, a screenshot of her Twitter. And this is what she's doing. So I just wanted to say thanks to Donna for taking up the mission of helping us out and getting the message out. Remember, we don't need a majority. We just need a tireless minority willing to spread the brush fires of liberty and truth. And that's where we are. I'm trying to take it slow, keep my mind focused today, because in reality, I'm a bit ticked off. Uh, The Supreme Court rendered an opinion today that has really upset me. A unanimous opinion, by the way, a unanimous opinion in which Thomas and Alito, all they could do was muster a whine and complain like a bunch of bratty kids instead of doing the right thing. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Nonetheless, here we go. So, um, I wanted to point out this article that I found on the internet because we have this phenomenon going on. 
this President Pelosi kind of thing, this talk about so many things being talked about this presidential election. I'm beginning to believe that they simply want to sow the seeds of uncertainty. I'm not sure what exactly the outcome is when you sow the seeds of uncertainty, because logically some things are going to happen, right? Logically, you're either going to make people get out and vote or people are not going to get out and vote. And so, excuse me a second. Excuse me. Sorry, Mac. I <laughs> didn't mean to disturb you, Mac. So what is, what is it that they're doing? And what is the purpose of what they're doing? See, that's what always comes to my mind. I'm trying to pull up my little chat room here so I can see you guys. If I run the chat room on my computer, then it just drags down the bandwidth so much that you guys, it, it, just, it just doesn't work. So I have to try to put you up here on my phone so I can follow you. There we go. Anyway, uh, so here's... Here's the question that, that I'm giving you. Because you know they don't do anything without a purpose. Thank you, Paula. Paula says, bless you. <laughs> For my sneeze, I'm assuming. So you know they don't do anything without a purpose. And I'm just really sort of curious, what do we think Pelosi's purpose in sowing uncertainty? And I have to wonder, is that so that no matter what happens, they've covered all the bases, right? So what happens if Donald Trump wins the popular vote by a landslide? Well, then, number one, they could fix the Electoral College vote with a win for Biden. Or they could actually fix it with a tie and we've talked about that before we talked about that last week go back and catch the the replay last week on youtube or on facebook and see how that works right so if they get a tie then the house of representatives picks the president and the senate picks the vice president so if there is an overwhelming win in the popular vote, then they can simply discount the Electoral College. You see, so there's, there's something going on here. Something going on here. Chaos is what they want. Fear is obviously what they want. But those are the means to the end. So what exactly is the end that they're looking for? Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Right? Isn't that where we are? Do you want to talk about the fear, right? So Donald Trump goes to Walter Reed because he's tested positive with COVID and they say he has a fever. Well, I don't... JC and I actually watched the press conference with Donald Trump's doctors. And it was amazing what they kept doing. I don't know if you guys watched it, but here's how it went. Did Donald Trump ever go on oxygen? 
was Donald Trump ever given supplemental oxygen? And the doctors kept saying, he is not on oxygen. Since he's been here, we have not put him on oxygen. Yes, but has he ever been put on oxygen? And they wanted some kind of kernel of something they could grasp on to make the public afraid that Donald Trump is going to die. Now, I think it's not so much afraid that Donald Trump is going to die, but I think it's because they're losing the COVID narrative, right? And this is the last straw. Donald Trump has gotten, has tested positive for COVID and he has a fever. Now, I have this Politico article up here for you guys to see. And I wanted to scroll down here to some specific language. And it's all about how, you know, the vice president is not giving in to Pelosi and how he's standing strong and standing firm and his loyalty to Donald Trump. And I want to point out this particular paragraph here. This one. The vice president has presented him a positive, has pre, the vice president himself has presented a positive face about representing the GOP ticket in a moment of crushing uncertainty. Listen to this language. The moment of crushing uncertainty. See, they need to push this this sky is falling bodies in the streets narrative with covid because the numbers aren't supporting it they've never the numbers have never supported it right they've since day one they've been all about bodies in the streets bodies in the streets we're all gonna die we gotta go on lockdown we gotta shut down businesses everybody's gotta wear a mask well the american people have had enough of the mask stuff we're done. I mean, you're seeing more and more people push back. You've got more and more states opening up, minus your huge, you know, radical, leftist, Marxist, agenda-driven urban locations. And the people are realizing we can get over this, right? So here's my hypothesis. They wanted Donald Trump to get really, 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 really sick so they could say, see, we're right. See, we're right. This stuff is deadly, and Donald Trump didn't take it seriously, and because he didn't take it seriously, all these people died. Trump, COVID, Trump, COVID, Trump, COVID, right? Number one, let's just repeat our lessons of the past. It is not a delegated authority to the President of the United States to keep us safe from viruses it is not a delegated authority to the federal government to keep us healthy to keep us safe to lock us down to make us wear masks to tell our states what to do in the face of disease this is not a delegated power to the federal government by the way there are more undelegated powers to the federal government than there are delegated powers i realize it doesn't look like that right now but in reality that's how it is 95 percent of what the federal government claims as a delegated power simply does not exist as one 
It exists as an undelegated power. And the Tenth Amendment says the powers not delegated to the United States are reserved to the states or to the people, respectively. Always to the people, because the source of all government power comes from the people. And the powers not delegated to the United States are reserved to the states and to the people, which means the states only get what the people give them. Our contract with the state that creates the state government, the contract amongst the people that create the state government through the Constitution is our delegation of power to the state. They only get to exercise power we've delegated to them. They don't get to make it up as they go along any more than the feds get to make it up as they go along. They just get a larger portion of power to deal with, but they don't get more than what we've given them. That's a little bit of valuable knowledge that we should be holding on to in the light of all this, you know, crazy disease stuff, right? So here we go. Vice President himself has presented a positive face about representing the GOP ticket in a moment of crushing uncertainty. I just wonder how many of how many people Republican and Democrat want Pence to be the presidential candidate. I mean, just think about that. Do they want Pence to be the presidential candidate? I believe the establishment, deep state, want Pence. I believe they've always wanted Pence. I believe they've never wanted Trump. They thought that Trump, and I don't know, maybe, you know, how these people think I don't know how they could ever look at Trump in his private life in his business life I mean the guy had a a real TV show in which the whole premise was you're fired and he's bombastic and in your face so I don't know how they could have ever thought that maybe hey Donald Trump is going to be this you know this shriveling, shriveling violet that Pence is going to be able to run the country like, like, I don't know, some other vice presidents have actually run the country before. But nonetheless, it didn't happen that way. I think they wanted it that way. So, Despite pressure from White House aides and allies to hunker down in Washington until Trump gets the all clear, President remains a patient. Now, we know this is old news now, but I wanted to point this out. The president remains a patient at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, where he has been receiving a variety of therapies and drugs to combat the potentially fatal disease. See, they need this thing. They need this thing to be deadly. They need the people to believe that it's deadly. They need to be- the people to believe that if, if, if Pence doesn't stay in lockdown, that he could get it. And then all of this sudden, because it's a potentially fatal disease, 
All of the sudden, we're in a crisis because we don't have a president or a vice president. Now, I don't want to seem hard or, or callous, but there's a procedure for that. So we shouldn't be operating in fear. Uh, secondly, I don't know how you can look at the numbers on COVID and have it qualify as what they call a potentially deadly disease. What is, what exactly does potentially mean at this point? Because the progressives, the Marxists, they like to control how words are defined, right? They want us to, to think about things in a different new light. And they want us to to be afraid, to push fear, to do all of this crazy, crazy stuff, right? So potentially. So apparently potentially now means less than 1%. That means if that's the standard for potential, if I play the lottery, I don't actually have a potential of winning the lottery if the standard of potential is like less than 1%. That means I'm highly likely to win the lottery. I think that's what they like you to believe too, that potential means highly likely. Well, good news is Donald Trump is up and around and he is well. And regardless of how this happens, regardless of why they said what they said, it is not a potentially fatal disease. And this apparent plan is not working. So I want to talk to you about this Supreme Court case. Now, the Supreme Court case has to do with, let's come over here, has to do with Kimberly Davis. Kim Davis, as if you remember, is the clerk of court for Kentucky. Okay, she was a county clerk of court in Kentucky. Kentucky at the time had a law on the books that said that, the, uh, that marriage is an act between a man and a woman. So that's that. No same-sex marriage in the state of Kentucky. Well, the Supreme Court in Obergefell says, no, 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 that discriminates against um, people who are same-sex marriages, and you cannot act in a discriminate. The state government can act, cannot act in a discriminatory manner to same-sex people, so the state law is unconstitutional. So Kimberly Davis says, no, I'm sorry, this violates my, my conscience. This violates my freedom of religion. I cannot issue these. Now, part of the problem you have to realize is that in the state of Kentucky, when all of this is going down, in the state of Kentucky, the marriage licenses are actually issued in the name of the clerk of the court. So it's not this particular justice. You know, when the, when the justice says, uh, by the authority vested in me, by the state of Kentucky, you are now married. 
So it isn't the justice endorsing the marriage, by the way. It is the clerk of court. So you say, the judge might say, by the authority vested in me by the state of, of Kentucky, but the marriage license is signed by the clerk of court in the bottom. Which, by the way, Kim Davis has been lobbying to have that changed. I don't want it in our name. It should just be in the state of Kentucky, maybe in the governor's name. But there has to be a way for a clerk of court to say, I cannot sign my name to something that conflicts with my religious beliefs. And so what we have now is the Supreme Court in an appeal for Kim Davis an appeal where the people whom she denied the marriage license to sued her in her official governmental capacity. So as a government agent, we are suing you for not giving us a marriage license. Now here's the kicker, okay? This is the kicker. The kicker is that in this lawsuit, which is, let me put it up here for you so you can see it really quick. Supreme Court of the United States, Kim V. Davis v. David Emerald, Ermold, I guess that's how you say that, David Ermold, uh, David Ermold, at all okay so in the supreme court in this case kim davis says you can't sue me because as a government employee i'm immune from lawsuits involving my my official duties now you all know this under the terms of qualified immunity. So Kim Davis is saying, and this is where I get really ticked off. Kim Davis is saying, you can't sue me as a person because I have qualified immunity. Now remember, qualified immunity is what a what the police officers in Fresno used that said uh, we can steal two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from these people in coins and cash because there's no law that says we can't take this from them and keep it for ourselves if we have a warrant to take it. So let me say that again because it sounds really, really nuts and I want you to get it. In Fresno, California, the Fresno Police Department had a warrant to search and seize a house based on alleged drug activity. The police officers, the Fresno Police Department police officers, a handful of them, kept personally... To over $250,000 $250, in cash and coins. 
They turned in everything into the evidence locker except $250,000 in cash and coins. So when the case was actually dismissed against these people and the people said you have no legal right to keep the stuff that you seized by warrant, we want our stuff back. The police department gave them everything that they had in the evidence locker, but they couldn't get back the $250,000 in coins and cash because a handful of the Fresno Police Department didn't put it in the evidence locker. So the people who actually own the $250,000 worth of stuff sued the police officers to get their stuff or the monetary equivalent of their stuff back. And the federal court said, you can't sue them. They have qualified immunity. You can't sue them. There was not a law that put them on notice that police officers cannot take people's stuff for their personal use when they have a warrant to search and seize. I don't know how you wrap your brain around that. But that's the facts. So that's the kind of qualified immunity we're talking about here. We're talking about the qualified immunity that says the Fresno Police Department can keep members, officers of the Fresno Police Department can keep $250,000 worth of cash and coins because there was no law in the books that says police officers can't take for personal use stuff that they take from people's house under a warrant. That's qualified immunity. Qualified immunity has also said that a police officer cannot be sued personally for shooting somebody while they're in uniform in their official capacity. Now, they may get fired. They could have criminal charges. But you can't sue them personally in civil court because they have qualified immunity. If you beat somebody down and they find that it was excessive force and you get fired, you can't be sued civilly because, as Miss Davis says in her argument, she's immune from civil lawsuits involving her official duties. Qualified immunity. So let me tell you, this is the active pre precedent. This is, unfortunately, the favored precedent. The courts, all the way to the Supreme Court, have upheld this doctrine of qualified immunity for government agents as one of their favorite ways of expanding government power, police powers. Police powers doesn't mean policing uniform, right? That means the expanded power of the state to rule over our lives. To expand the power of government while protecting agents and individuals from civil personal liability basically saying we will allow those in office to get away with anything they want 
then you know what? They'll do whatever they want. And maybe you'll sue them. And we'll tell you you can't sue them. Maybe there'll be criminal charges. Maybe they'll get fired. But they're protected. That's what qualified immunity means. It's a holdover from feudal law. A principle called sovereign immunity. Which literally translates to the king can do no harm. So in America, we have a standard of the king can do no harm. And that's the favored, the favored precedent. Unless, unless you are challenged in the Supreme Court as a justice to applying two different standards. So the precedent now is qualified immunity for everyone unless you are acting in favor of state law and acting on your religious beliefs as an elected official. Check this out. So, Alito and Thomas throw a temper tantrum because the Supreme Court unanimously has denied Kim Davis's claim of, of qualified immunity. Let me say that again. They have denied unanimously Kim, Kim Davis's claim of qualified immunity. Every single Supreme Court justice on that bench currently has held a long-standing legal trail of supporting qualified immunity. In this case, however, all of a sudden, no qualified immunity for Kim Davis. And the answer is because of Obergefell versus Hodges. Obergefell versus Hodges is where the Supreme Court said that same that states cannot outlaw same-sex marriages. Now, before you start thinking that, oh, wait a minute, they denied. Uh, sovereign, um, uh, sovereign immunity, qualified immunity. Uh, no. No. They chose one precedent over another. I guarantee you, when it turns back to the original precedent, you know, you can shoot people, you can steal from people, you can beat people to death, and you'll get qualified immunity. But you actually support state law you actually stand up for, for the right of what you believe, you won't get qualified immunity. That's what this is about. This is why Thomas is having a temper tantrum. Now, mind you, Thomas did not dissent in this. The court all agreed that Kim Davis should not get her day. Why? Because to them, supporting the precedent of denying state rights and denying religious 
conscience liberty is the only thing that will ever supplant their ideas and goals of big government. You, we see the limit of big government now. The limit of big government is we can't have states' rights and we can't have people standing up for what they believe. That's the limit now of big government. You can murder people. You can steal their stuff with immunity. But you cannot stand up for what you believe and you cannot stand up for the state law. Because remember, when Kim Davis did this, the state law was no same-sex marriage. And that's part of what Thomas throws his temper tantrum about. So I'm not happy with Gorsuch in this either. But I'm not surprised with Gorsuch in this either. Because remember, the issue here is precedent. The precedent they are married to. And what's crazy is Thomas and Alito don't even like the Obergefell precedent, and yet they still applied it like blind slaves. I want you to get this, because when I'm telling you, when we're going through the analysis of these Supreme Court justices, and I tell you that they are married to precedent, when I tell you that they believe that the Supreme Court can only overturn itself in special rare occasions, when they tell you that no one else can overturn the Supreme Court but the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court can only do that in very rare and special occasions, I want you to remember what we're looking at here. We're looking at a precedent. We're looking at a precedent in which two Supreme Court justices, in the least, two with the boldness to come out and say, we do not agree with this precedent. This precedent was totally wrong. We disagreed with the case. Thomas even dissented in Oberfell. He even dissented in that. He disagreed that it was good law. And now that the Supreme Court, by majority opinion, has declared that Obergefell is the quote-unquote law of the land, even those who dissented blindly follow because the majority said so back in 2015. Do you see how this judicial supremacist ideology is the ultimate corruption of the Constitution of America. It is the ultimate destruction of the liberties of the people. This precedent becoming preeminent over the Constitution itself, obviously preeminent over the Constitution because Roberts and Alito disagreed with it. They dissented to it when it happened. But now because they were quote-unquote outvoted, all of the sudden it has to be followed because they said so. 
I, I want you to see where the problem is. Why Chris Ann and JC are always talking about the fact that these people are blindly following precedent and why that's a problem. By the way, you can go to libertyfirstuniversity.com and see, watch, study my class on the federal judiciary and find out what the framers said about precedent ruling over the Constitution. It establishes what a judge says is the law. That what a judge says is actually superior to the Constitution itself. This is why I've been wanting to explain to you why it's so important to have a Supreme Court justice that has precedent in its proper place. We don't have one. We don't have one. I firmly believe, and I don't, you can't change my mind on this, I firmly believe had Oberfeld not been decided in the way that it was, not existed as precedent, Kim Davis would have had her day in court because they would not have denied her certiorari because there'd have been no excuse to for Roberts. Roberts always taking the easy way out to, to stand with the deep state and those Marxists who want to overtake America. Roberts is always going to look for that. But then you would also have had Alito. So they had Roberts, Alito, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Thomas. That would have been five. Five. Five would have given Kim Davis her day. If those five had not do, did not hold a slavish obedience to precedent. I want to point out here. A slavish obedience to precedent they say is wrong. Thomas says, in Oberfeld v. Hodges, the court read a right to same-sex marriage into the 14th Amendment, even though that right is found nowhere in the text. In his first sentence, joined by Alito, we did not follow the Constitution. He says, several members of the court noted that the court's decision would threaten religious liberty of the many of Americans who believe that marriage is sacred institution between one man and one woman. He says, if the states had been allowed to resolve this question through legislation, they could have included accommodations for those who hold those religious beliefs. Number one, he says we didn't follow the Constitution. Number two, he recognizes this is not a power delegated to the federal government. Therefore, it is a power reserved to the states. Number three, he said this is going to create liberty problems. 
He says, the court, however, bypassed that Democrat, democratic process. Worse still, though it briefly acknowledged that those with sincerely held religious objections to same-sex marriage are often decent and honorable, the court went on to suggest that those beliefs espoud a bigoted world view. Not only did the court not follow the Constitution, not only did the court assume a power that was not delegated to them, not only did the court steal a power reserved to the states, not only did the court acknowledge the destruction of a liberty enshrined in the Bill of Rights. Not only did the court do all of that, but they said that and established a principle that if you believe in the same sex, if you, if you believe in a marriage between a man and a woman, you hold a bigoted worldview. Five things right there, not in the purview of the Supreme Court, Five examples in one case of textbook founder level bad behavior. Those five justices should have been impeached. It wouldn't have been a political thing if they'd have been impeached. They did not follow the Constitution, not following the Constitution and creating language in which they alienate part of the American population by their opinion of worldviews. Textbook bad behavior. And, and Alito and Thomas both whine, do nothing more than whine about it. But they followed it. How can you say this about a precedent and then follow it? How can you say this, all of these things, all of these violations, and then follow the precedent? This is what I'm talking about. When we warn you about justices being married to precedent. When we warn you about Supreme Court justices who deny that the Constitution is supreme. Can I show you guys something really quick? Let me just go ahead and pull this up here um, so you can see this. All right, because this is, I'm actually, this is a teach show, not a talk show. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something. This is Article 1, Clause, I mean, sorry, Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution. Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution. This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under their authority, shall be the supreme law of the land. Now, if we could just take a moment and look at that, 
from an a academic perspective. Follow me here. Because we have judges slavishly submitting themselves to precedent that they believe is unconstitutional, that is immoral, subject to the theft of state authority and the destruction of people's rights. Not a power delegated to the federal government, yet slavishly submitting themselves to that authority. I want to talk to you about the supremacy of the Constitution for just a minute. Grammatically speaking, we have three sentences. This Constitution shall be the supreme law of the land. Sentence number one. The laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof. Sentence number two shall be the supreme law of the land. Sentence number three. And all treaties made or which shall be made under their authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. Now, we're not dealing with treaties, so we can sort of set that aside right now. We are dealing with the Constitution and the laws of the United States. Now, why do I throw this in the laws of the United States? Not because I want to. Because all the people out there are saying that Oberfeld is the law of the land. That somehow a Supreme Court opinion must now supersede the Constitution. Some judge's opinion now becomes law, which, by the way, is an incredible violation of separation of powers. But we'll save that for another day. Now, in this sentence, this Constitution shall be the supreme law of the land, establishes that the Constitution is the supreme law, period. Nothing else has to happen. It is the supreme law, so it is the Constitution, it is preeminent, nothing else above it. But notice the laws of the United States, which uh, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, shall be the supreme law of the land. Not every law is supreme. Not every opinion from the court is supreme. Only those which are made in pursuance thereof, the Constitution, shall be supreme. Now this is just simple sixth grade reading. So I have to know that Alito and Thomas and Gorsuch... And Kavanaugh and Roberts, they, they know how to read. They can see this. Nothing is superior to the Constitution. And anything that is not made in pursuance to the Constitution is not the supreme law of the land. Now look at this second clause. When it is the supreme law of the land, the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. But when the laws are not made in pursuance thereof, then they are not the supreme law of the land, 
and the judges are not bound thereby. Let me remind you what we have here. You have Thomas and Alito, in the very least, telling you that Obergefell did not follow the Constitution. Since Obergefell did not follow the Constitution, and Article 6, Clause 2 says that things that do not follow the Constitution are, not, are null and void, they are not supreme law, they're actually no law at all because you're not bound by them. Oops, sorry. There we go. You are not bound by them, right? If you're not bound by them, if the judges are not bound by them, then they are no law, right? So you have these judges admitting that this is unconstitutional and then following it. So apparently, according to the Supreme Court of the United States, government agents deserve qualified immunity if they steal from people. They deserve qualified immunity if they hurt someone. They deserve qualified immunity if they murder someone. They deserve qualified immunity if they speak slanderously about someone. For example the sheriff of Hillsborough County, Florida, stood up at a press conference and said that the pastor that he arrested had an arsenal of weapons and he was afraid to go in because he was afraid that the people in the church and the pastor were going to shoot him. He gave a whole press conference about how we had to do it this way because we were afraid of the church and the pastor. Now that's slanderous. That is derogatory to the church. That is derogatory to the pastor's character. And it was patently false. Yet that sheriff would have been covered by qualified immunity for his statements because he was giving them in the capacity of his legal authority. His government authority. Not legal but governmental. If I had done that, I would have been held civilly liable for those. But because the sheriff works for the government, qualified immunity says he's covered. He can say whatever he wants about anybody and not be held accountable. So you can steal, lie, cheat, murder, or maim. And you're covered by qualified immunity as a government employee. But defend state law, stand up for your personal beliefs, sorry, not covered. I hope you realize, 
I hope America, I hope this message gets out in a way. I hope I'm not the only one giving this message. I mean, I always hope and pray that. I always hope that other people are saying this. I want everybody to tell the truth. I want to be I, I want to be unneeded in society. I really do. I want to be unneeded. I want truth to be so ubiquitous throughout America that you don't need podcasts like mine. I don't want to be the sole voice talking about this stuff. I mean, I don't know why other lawyers with talk shows don't bring this stuff to you. I can't do that math. I don't know what goes on people's brains. I don't get it. But I wish everybody would say this. I wish every lawyer who has a television show or a radio talk show spoke truth about the Constitution, truth about states' rights, truth about precedent, truth about limited power of the Supreme Court, truth about the limited power of the federal government, truth about the limited power of the federal government to spend and to give and to take. I wish everybody, every lawyer with a talk show would tell us how qualified immunity is kingdom rule in America. I don't know why they don't, but I wish they would. But I want us to understand where we are. When you have a, a Supreme Court justice or an entire Supreme Court that is absolutely, blindly, slavishly married to precedent. This is the kind of stuff that you get. We know it's unconstitutional. We know it's wrong. We know it's immoral. I want you to get that. These are the words of the Supreme Court justices on the bench. It's unconstitutional. It's wrong. It's immoral. It's destructive to our future, but we have to follow it because that's what we said by majority. I used to say we were an oligarchy of nine. We're not an oligarchy of nine. We're an oligarchy of five. All it takes is five. Five rulers from a nine oligarch panel. And even they themselves can't overturn it. It's like the law of the Medes or something. Once it's signed, we can't overturn it. So don't tell me my faith has to be in the Supreme Court overturning itself. Because we see it will not overturn itself. Why did, why did Amy Coney Barrett say when questioned by the Senate Judiciary Committee on her federal court appointment that only the Supreme Court can overturn the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will only overturn itself in rare and exceptional occasions. Because these people who blindly support this tyrannical rule of precedent know that the Supreme Court itself slavishly submits to precedent unless they can get five to agree with them to overturn it even though they know it's wrong, even though they know it's immoral, even though they know it's unconstitutional, and even though they know it's destructive to your rights. Mac is being distracting down here, isn't he? <laughs> Look at him looking at me. Mac. Yes, I know. He, he, he can tell time. 
Can your dog tell time? My dog can tell time. He says, it's one minute to being done. So this is what happens. And now we know from this precedent that the only thing that will cause the Supreme Court to overturn itself in qualified immunity through the expansion of power is their bigotry against the church, their bigotry against religious liberty, and their hatred of states' rights. That's the bottom line, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. I'm sorry, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are here. Share this on Twitter. If you're here right now, hit the thumbs up. Make sure that you uh, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, so you can get your notifications when, f when uh, YouTube and Facebook decide they want to give them. But we are always here, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't wait for your notifications. Set an alarm on your phone. Set an alarm on your watch. We'll be here one way or the other. Absent, all right, so you got me, I see you. Absent, you know, some kind of craziness that sometimes happens to us. But you know where to find us. Now share this, please. Don't let, don't, uh, get Dan Bongino to start talking about this. Get Crowder to start talking about this. Get Levin to start talking about this. Get these people out there to talk about this truth. Thank you so much, guys. God bless. We'll see you next time.